All right. My name's Taylor. I'm a partner here at Flourishing Grace. Um, I'm also joining the staff team soon. Um, <laughs> thank you. I'm excited. I'll be helping with um, prayer and hospitality. Um, so if everyone can grab a Bible, there's some blue Bibles in front of you if you don't have yours. I'll be reading in John chapter 1, 1 through 8, and that's on page 981. And then if you're able, if you could stand just in reverence of the word of God. Okay. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. All right, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Taylor. Right, yes, Taylor is our newest staff member here at Flourishing Grace. We're super, super excited uh, about that. We're excited to have her. Uh, helping out with prayer and hospitality. And so we have some big initiatives in the new year around prayer here at Flourishing Grace. You're going to be hearing a lot about that. Um, in February, we're going to be rolling out a ton of stuff. We're going to do a whole series on prayer. I'm super excited about that. And Taylor's going to play a big role in that. But then also our, all of our prayer and hospitality stuff, our hospitality stuff. So all of our greeters and, and the coffee team, all, all of that uh, for all of our events. And Sunday morning, uh, Taylor's leaning into that. We're super, super Thrilled to have her. Um, so a few years ago, actually, no, many years ago, um, I'm getting old. Uh, some of the sometimes I think of these things that, that I did, it doesn't seem like it's that long ago, and then I realize that was longer ago than I thought it was. Um, many years ago, uh, my wife and I, we went to Italy with some friends uh, back in Chicago. We went, we kind of did this whole tour of Italy and went to all the cities. And of course, you have to go to, to Rome. And uh, in, in Rome, the, the thing that you have to see, like you, obviously there's a million things you have to see, but uh, St. Peter's, right, is one of the most unbelievable structures on the planet. And you just, it's a sensory overload of all of the beauty in, in St. Peter's. And one of the things in St. Peter's that you see that is uh, one of the greatest sculptures ever sculpted in all time um, is Michelangelo's Pieta, right? Um, and I have a picture of it here. Um, and this is, this is absolutely amazing. When, when you see it in, in person, it kind of it just does something to you. There's, there's this feeling, this emotion, this response when you see uh, Jesus laying in his, in his mother's arms. And it's just, it's one of the greatest sculptures, maybe arguably the greatest sculpture ever sculpted from one solid slab of marble. Uh, Michelangelo formed that. Uh, this, is that not nuts to anybody else? This is nuts. And it's famous for many reasons. I mean, because of who made it and and, and how unbelievable it is. But then also, it's famous for a number of other reasons. Um, I think it was in the 70s, uh, some crazy guy attacked it with a hammer. Um, you guys know that story? Like some guy like jumps the barrier and just like starts wailing on, on it. It's like crazy. But then there's another reason why it's famous, because it's the only uh, piece that Michelangelo ever signed. 
Uh, the story goes like this. Um, Michelangelo makes it, and it's on display, and he's, he's viewing it, and he hears people in around him discussing it and saying, actually, no, Michelangelo didn't make that. It was this other guy who was Michelangelo's competitor at the time. And this, this does something. It challenges something. It devalidates something deep within Michelangelo. And the story goes, after he hears this, he comes back that night. That night he comes back, and he carves his signature into Mary's sash. You can zoom in on it. So on her sash, you can kind of see it there. You can zoom in a little bit farther in the next picture. There it is. Michelangelo Buonarati made this. That's what it says. It says, Michelangelo Buonarati of Florence made this. In case anybody ever questions that's mine, baby, right? I did that, right? This, this deep need for everybody to know, I am validated by this piece of work. That's mine. I, I don't want anybody to ever mistake this for anybody else. That's mine. Now, here's the rest of the story. The story goes that Michelangelo, after doing this, experiences deep shame and regret, and he vows, I will never sign another piece of work for as long as I live. And he doesn't. That's the only one. That's it. It's the only piece he ever signed. He's like, how could I do that? How could I destroy this beautiful thing with my signature on the ground? Like, what's wrong with me? Here's what I want you to see this morning. Deep inside of every single one of us, there are these core identities, core identities, that we demand to be validated in. Deep, deep within us, I must be validated in these things. And those things are different for, for us in the room, um, but they're in all of us. And, and they're deep within us, right? The, when we think of our identity, right, you say, well, who, who am I, right? Well, who, who am I? At the, at, the, at the top of that pile of things that make you who you are, you might just say, kind of on the surface level, my name is Josh Knight. Uh, I live in Bountiful, Utah. I'm a citizen of the United States of America. And you say, well, can you validate that? I'm like, yes, I can. Let me pull out my driver's license and show you. And if somebody challenges me on that, I'm like, I don't care. Like, it's like, okay, who cares? I, like, here's my driver's license. I can show you where I live. Like, and besides, I don't, what, it doesn't matter. Like, it just, it's not valuable to me because it's just true. It's just who I am. But if I said, okay, not, not who are you, but like, who are you? Like, who are you? If you had to get out the shovel and dig a little bit deeper, right? The next thing you would say is, well, you would begin to kind of define your roles and things you do, right? The hats you wear. Well, I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. I, I'm, a, I, I'm, a, I'm a skier, not a snowboarder, okay? That's, that's for sure. I'm a mountain climber. I'm a hiker. I'm a, like, these are the things that that I do, that define me, like the roles that I play, the hats that I, I wear. And, and all of us would have different ones, but there would be a lot of overlap in, in those things. But if I said, no, 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 not who are you or who are you, but I mean, who are you? Like if you had to really dig deep at the bottom of your identity, those core, core things that you value more than you value all of those other things, that have been placed there from probably for many of us from a young age. Somebody's told you, you need to be this in order to be loved. You need to be this in order to be worthy. You need to be this in order to be appreciated. What are those things for you? 
Most of us don't know the answer to that question. That's the reality of it. You, you, we, don't, we don't ever want to dig deep enough to discover that. And we only discover it when they're threatened. We only discover it when they're threatened. When my core identity is in being the one who is the great achiever, the winner. Like, I just win. That's what I do, right? And all of a sudden, somebody comes onto the new sales team, and for three years in a row, you've been number one in sales, and all of a sudden, you're not anymore, right? All of a sudden, there's anger and outrage and anxiety. It's like, I'm, no, 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 I'm the winner. Like, I'm the one. I'm the one that does this. Maybe your thing is, um, man, I, I'm independent. I'm, I'm the one who's resourceful and just gets it done. I don't need anybody else for anything. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a helpless situation. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm, I have to ask for help. And that just does something. I, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. And you would rather die than ask for help. Maybe you're the person who's just deeply creative. You're deeply creative, and, but as you've grown older, you've lost your ability to create the way you did when you were younger, and you can't do it anymore. And there's great sorrow and mourning and losing the ability to th- do the things that used to define you. Am I hitting any of them? Maybe you're the great leader, like you've, you've seen yourself and you've been told your whole life, you are an amazing leader. You, 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 can, you can lead corporations and groups of people and do all these things and, and suddenly, all of a sudden, you, your confidence has been shaken and someone else has come along and, and they're rising to fame and, you, and they're becoming greater than you are and all of a sudden you're like, that's anxiety. Or maybe, maybe you've been told, and you need to be the one who provides for your family. You need to be the great provider. And without you, everybody's going to suffer, and all of a sudden, you lose your job, or you lose your ability to do your job. And all of a sudden, anxiety and stress and sorrow and despair and worry, and, like, how are, they, how are they going to survive? Like, what are they going to do? They're going to, they're going to suffer because of me? Like, that's core. And here's what I want to say. That, I believe, whatever that is for you, the deepest levels of who you are, that's where true formation takes place. That's where Jesus wants to do his greatest work. And most of us never want to actually live down there. We never actually want to go down there. We never have to, like the only time we ever go there is when that thing is being threatened. That's the only time that we ever see it or know it or realize it. And even then, we don't want to think about it. We just want to fight. But Jesus wants to do a work down there. He, he wants to form you into a new identity. He, here's the thing. You will never be perfect in any of those things. You're never going to be the perfect winner, the perfect achiever, the perfect leader, the perfect provider, the perfect helper. You're never going to be the savior of somebody else. Like you, 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 it's never going to be who you are. You're never going to be perfectly independent or perfectly unique or perfectly creative. You're, you're never going to be that. It's always going to be threatened. You're going to live your whole life worrying about the next thing or the next threat to the core of who you are. And Jesus says, no, 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 I I want to replace that with a whole new identity. What we need is a new identity in Christ. We need a new identity in Christ. That's where Jesus wants to go to work. He wants to form his image deep within us. And it must begin there in the place where you are most threatened, or the place where your, your fingers, your hands are most tightly clasped. This is who I am. 
My, my, my dad told me this is who I am, or my mom told me this is who I need to be, or my boss tells me this is what I need to be, or my family says this is who. That's where Jesus wants to do his work, reforming you into his image, giving you a new identity, a new self, a new person at the depths of who you are. This is where this takes place. This is what I want to see happen to us here at Flourishing Grace, where, where we release our, our grasp on our core identities and say, that does not define me. I do not need to be validated in those things. I can release them. I'm never going to make lifelong regrets because I needed to be validated. I can release my grasp on that. And I can have a new identity in Christ. Now, some of you might say, wait a second. What does any of this have to do with the passage that Taylor read earlier? Um, and you would be, that'd be a good question. That's, what I wanna, that's where I want to go this morning. I want to show you. Um, so our passage this morning, we've been walking through John 1. And we come to this, to this piece on John the Baptist. And, and I think that John the, the gospel writer, two different Johns, okay? John the disciple who wrote this gospel, I think that the thing that he drives home again and again and again when it comes to John the Baptist is that John the Baptist is a man whose identity is rooted in the identity that God has given him, not in the things of this world. And he, and it, he reveals it right here in this text. If you just lean in a little bit, that's what I want to show you this morning. I want to, I want to show you how John the Baptist from a young age is told, you are great, you are amazing, you are special, and he never lets it go to his head. He lives out of his Christ-centered identity from a young age. And then I want to ask a question, how do we do that? How do I do that? I'm going to be vulnerable with you. I don't do it well, okay? J just yesterday, I had a moment where one of my core identities was like threatened and poked a little bit, and, and I, I was like angry, I was frustrated, I was upset. I don't do this well. I don't know it well. How do we get better at this? That's the question I want to ask this morning. Does that make sense? Are we ready? Let's go. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to reread our text this morning, just the last two verses that we're going to be leaning into. So this is coming John 1, 6 and 8. reads this way. It'll be up here on the screen. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. That's John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I'm gonna give you three observations from this text, okay? The first is this. Our identity in Christ comes from rooting ourselves in our God-given role and purpose. Our identity in Christ comes by rooting ourselves in our God-given role and purpose. John has a God-given role and purpose. And we see it right here in this text. A man was sent from God. This is God-given. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. He has a role to play that all might believe, and he has a purpose in that role, okay? It's all right here in this text. God sent, God-given role and purpose. And we see this from day one. This is who John is before he's ever even born. In Luke's gospel, we have the story uh, that was actually read earlier when we lit the candle of joy this morning. In Luke 1, 39 through 44, uh, Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who's John's mother, right? Mary, the mother of Jesus, goes to visit Elizabeth, the mother of John. And this is what happens. Uh, Luke 1, 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the town of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, 
John the Baptist, leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord, my King, should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby, John the Baptist, in my womb, leapt for joy. Before he's ever even born, in the story, we see God says, This kid's special. I got a plan for him. Like in utero, John's identity is attached to Jesus. Before anything happens in his life, we see this kid's special. God has a plan for this kid. There's something more going to happen in his story. John, before he is born, is sent by God. He's sent by God before anything takes place in his life. And we're going to see later that John lived free from this need to be validated. And one reason why I believe is because he knows I'm sent from God. I don't need to buy into the mission of anyone else, any corporation, anything else that anybody sells me, anything my dad tells me or my mom tells me. I don't need to buy into any other identity because I'm sent from God. I'm validated by him. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is so are you. If you are in Christ, and I know not everybody in the room and not everybody watching online is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody in the room has given their life to him and laid it before him and said, I'm no longer my own, I am yours. But for those who have, those who have been pulled out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his marvelous light, that took place before you were born. Before you were born. God said, that one right there, you're mine. You're mine. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 8. In Romans 8, 29, Paul says this. He says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son. Now, we're not going to get into predestination versus free will, but one thing we can agree on is this. God has a plan to form you into the image of his Son. Before you were ever born, God says, that one right there, I'm going to form you into the image of my son in order that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. You've been called before you were born. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Before you were born, God says, that one in your mother's womb, I'm going to glorify you. I'm going to send you out a special purpose, a special calling on your life. If you are in Christ, God says, you are dear, you are special, you are unique. No one else needs to validate that in you. You don't don't need anybody else to tell you that. God said, and he said it before you were ever born, you, right there, got a plan for you. He's also given us a role to play. We're sent from God, we have a role to play. Skipping down, breathe real quick, I'm going to skip down to Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We have a role to play. Good works that were created, again, beforehand, before we ever even thought about these works, God has prepared them for us to walk in. In Christ Jesus We are created to walk in these good works. We have a role to play, 
a role of obedience, a role of submission, a role of wonder, a role of clinging to God and clinging to Christ and say, man, I want to walk in you all the days of my life. God says, I have a job for you. I have a job for you. It's better than any job you'll ever have. You will, you will gain more from living into my identity that I have for you than you will anything else, anything that you'll ever find in your corporation, your organization, your family, as a mom, as a dad, as a CEO, as whatever it may be, I have something greater for you. I have a greater role for you, a greater role for you to play. I have good works that I've prepared beforehand for you to live into and to walk into. And that role has a purpose. There's a purpose for your life. We see this as Jesus actually paints this picture for us in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, he says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine. Walk in your good works so that they may see your good works. And here's the purpose. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Right, what was John's role and purpose? He came to bear witness, bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And our role is to walk in the good works of God so that the whole world might look in and say, man, that, that is glory. That the whole world might glorify our God in heaven who has called us, who has purposed us, and who has, and who has established us. This ability to glorify him. Right? The Westminster Shorter Catechism, famously the first question, right? Most of you probably know this or heard this, right? What is the chief end of man? Like, why do we exist? The answer to the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we exist. That's our role and nothing else. To glorify him and enjoy him forever. Now that's easy to say. It rolls off the tongue and it sounds nice. Mm, yes, glorify him and join forever, yeah. It's another thing to actually live that out. To, to somehow wiggle free of these lesser identities and say, I, I don't need to be validated by my uniqueness. I don't need to be, val be validated by my creativity. I don't need to be validated by my abilities and my independence. And I don't need to be validated by my intellect or my ability to achieve and win and, and whatever. I, I don't need to be validated by any of those things. I just need to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's much harder to actually live out. Easy to say, hard to do, because I want my glory. Every day I must be reminded of a greater calling, a greater role, and a greater purpose that has been given to me by Christ. It's in Christ that this is given to me. In Christ I'm fully validated, and I have no need to be validated by anyone or anything in this world. I root myself in my God-given role and purpose. And in doing so, I'm freed, I'm, I'm liberated inwardly from any other need for validation because God validates me in that. He says, I've chosen you. You are special. You are unique. Here's your role, and I've crafted it for you. I, I've crafted, crafted the job description before you were ever born. Here it is. And here's the great purpose to fulfill the purpose of all human beings of all time, to glorify me and enjoy me forever. I don't need to be validated in anything else. Second is this. Our identity in Christ comes through death. Our identity in Christ comes through death. And, and what I mean by this is that the ability to put to death 
all of the lesser identities in our lives, right? Here's our text again for this morning. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And then he says this, listen. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. See, John the Baptist has this this profound sense of rooted identity. He knows who he is, but more importantly, he knows who he is not. And so he is able to put to death all of the other identities. He says, that's not who I am. That's not my role. That's not my purpose. That's not my calling. It's not, I'm not any of those things. So I can put them to death. I can kill all the other things that the world tells me I need to be in order to be who God has made me to be. That's unique, friends. To be able to do that is super unique. It takes a lot of work. A lifelong pursuit of digging deep into who we are, unearthing all of that, dealing with the pain, killing it so that Christ might become alive in us. John says, I know who I am not. I don't need to be any of these things. I don't need to be validated by anything else because I know who I am. I know my role. I know my purpose. I know my calling. We see this um, right out of the gate in John 1. So John 1 starts with this beautiful um, piece of Scripture that we've been walking through during Advent, and then it goes into the life of John the Baptist. Most of John chapter 1 is about John the Baptist. We see this in verse 19. It says this, and this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem, that's a big deal, okay? Everybody's flocking to the wilderness because John the Baptist is famous. Everybody wants to see, is this guy the Messiah? He's weird. He's crazy. He's wearing his camel hair. He's eating locusts and honey. Like, what's going on in the wilderness? The Jews and the chief priests say, hey, I want you guys to go see what's going on. Go, Go see what's happening out there in the wilderness. So they sent the priests and the Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Think about it. What validates you? What makes you who you are? At the core of it all, who are you? And look at the language of of the writer, John the disciple. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed. He, He is emphasizing this. He says it twice. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He knows who he's not. He knows who he's not. Who are you? At the core of who you are, who are you? I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? They believe that Elijah is going to return. Are you Elijah? Are you the promised one who's going to return? for? I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? What defines you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing If you are neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet, then John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across from the Jordan where John was baptized. Now think about this for a second. Just think for a second. Who are you? Are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you the prophet? No. Right? 
Listen, what could John have said to any one of those questions? Yes. Yes, I am the Christ. Therefore, bow before me. Clothe me in gold and wrap me in a robe and and usher me in. Give me all of the power. Give me all the money. Give me all the women. Because I am. I am the Christ. I am the prophet. I am Elijah. He could have said it to any of those things, and he would have been instantly glorified, instantly famous, instantly powerful, instantly in the eyes of the world successful. No longer the weird guy in the desert, now at the center of it all. Could have had it all. It doesn't. I know who I am. More importantly, I know who I'm not. I don't need to be validated by any one of these things. They're sent from the Pharisees, the the chief priest. These are the priests and the Levites. These are, these are the, the religious elites of the day. John's like, I don't, I don't need to be validated by you. I, I, don't, I don't give a rip. That's not true for anybody else in Jerusalem. Living free from all of the need to be validated in these core identities. He says, I know who I'm not. I will not reach for it. I will not reach for it. And yet for us, we constantly reach for it. We're people who are so busy fighting to make straight our own path, our own way. Our identities are so rooted in what we do. Whether we're a mom or a CEO, I must be seen in a good light. I must be the one. But John says, I don't need to be anybody other than who I am. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord. I am not the light. I'm not the light. John Tyson Different John. I know. Three Johns in one sermon. It's confusing. I know. John Tyson is a pastor in New York City. He says this. He says, identity is the start of the best satanic attack on your life. Your identity is the start of the best satanic attack on your life. And here's why he says this, right? When we see the baptism of Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water and God speaks identity into his son. He says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. That is a validating of the identity of Jesus. And what's the next thing that happens? He's led out in the wilderness and, and Satan says, if you really are the son of man, if you really are the son of God, do this. Really? You're the son of man? Do this. Oh, really? You're the son of God? Do this. Immediately, Satan goes to work on his identity, and Jesus must be rooted in who he is. He must know who he is and who he is not. He must know who validates him and who does not validate him. And he must walk in that. It's the beginning of the best satanic attack on our life. If anyone would come after me, Jesus says, he must what? If anybody wants to come after me, he must what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you want to come after me, if you want to come after me, the first thing you must do is figure out who you think you need to be at the core of who you are and kill that thing. Put your fingers around it and squeeze. That's what you got to do. Nail it to the cross because that's not who you are. Satan's going to come after that, and he's going to use it, and he's going to leverage it against you to drive you away from me. That's not who you are. From a young age, you have been told these lies by Satan, and they come through people in your life who love you, family members and friends, authority figures, but they're not true. You're only great if you're strong. You're only worthy if you can provide for your family. You only count if you can win. 
You can only be loved if you're lovable. You only be pre- appreciated if you're the smartest. People are only going to like you if you're unique. No one's going to value, uh, value you unless you're creative. Unless they know that that sculpture is yours, you are nothing. None of it's true. None of it's true. So squeeze harder. Kill it. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God so loved you in spite of who you are. Jesus dominates you in all of those areas. And for those whose core identity is the ability to provide, Jesus dominates you in the ability to provide. For those whose core identity is the ability to help others, to be the savior, like you have that savior complex, like I just have to be the helper. Jesus dominates you in that. And the ability to win, the ability to lead, the ability to achieve, the ability to be creative, the ability to be unique. He dominates us in all of those things. I'm better than you in all of those things, and yet I love you in spite of yourself. On your worst day, I come for you. I die for you because I love you. For God so loved the world, he gave his only perfect, spotless, beautiful, blameless son. And it wasn't because you were awesome. It's because he loved you how you were. And so what validation do you need? Why do you need the rest of the world to say, oh, you can do it, you can achieve, you can win, you can be the salesman of the year, you can provide for your family, you can be super creative and you can be super unique and you can be the helper and you can... Why do you need that? If God loves you just how you are, you are free to put to death all of those lesser things. And this is what John does. John the Baptist is a master at this. There's a story later in the Gospel of John. We don't have super time to get into it. But there's a story later in John's Gospel where John the Baptist is baptizing in the Jordan and his disciples are with him. And it's a small group of guys at this point. Because they look over and they see Jesus baptizing and they realize Half of, like all of John's old disciples are now with Jesus. They've all jumped ship. And they're like, that guy walks on water. I'm going with him. Okay, he's restoring sight to the blind. I'm going with that guy. And the, all the, the rest of John's disciples, like the, the last men who are like, their core identity is loyalty. Uh, their core identity is like, I will never leave you. I, I know, yeah, whatever. You can walk on water, no big deal. Like, I love you. Like, I'm committed. That's core identity, right? And John says to them, listen, no, 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 stop. That guy, famous line, John says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's John's core identity. It's not me, baby. It's not me. Everything in me exists for him. He must increase and I must decrease. My identity must become small so that he might become great, famous, beautiful, He must be more beautiful than me. He must be more creative than me. He must be more unique than me. He must be more powerful than me. He must have a greater ability to win, a greater ability to provide. He must become great, and I must become small. Lastly, the third piece of this, our identity in Christ comes through Christ alone. Our identity in Christ comes through Christ alone. Now, some of you might say, thanks, duh. Okay, that's helpful. But seriously, we need to remember this. Our identity in Christ comes through Christ alone. John, um, at the end of his life, has a moment where he actually begins to struggle with his identity. It's the only time we see this. The only time we see him questioning. He's in prison, in um, this dark, dingy cell. And John begins, you know, this God-given role and purpose 
he can no longer do it anymore. And so his purpose, some of you in the room, you've, you've come to the place in life where the thing that, go, that, you've, that you've built your life on, this core identity, you're no longer that person anymore. And it's just wrecked you. John's sitting in a prison cell and he can no longer be this person out there shining the light of Christ in the world because he's locked in a dark, dingy cell. And his disciples come to him, like through the bars, I don't know how this works, but through the bars, he says, I needed to go ask Jesus something. Here's how, here's how the story goes in Matthew 11. Now when, the, now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and he said to him, to Jesus, are you the one who is coming? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? Are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. Come on, baby. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Here's what's happening. Pull it together, Josh. Here's what's happening. For the first time, John is alone by himself, and he begins to take his eyes off of Christ and to look inward at his identity and who he is. And he says, man, I've, I've baked my whole life on this. I've killed every lesser identity. My whole life has been just murdering all of these things that have fought for my core, fought for to get into my life. I've killed them all. And the question he's asking Jesus is this. Was it worth it? Are you the one who's come? Or should we look for another? Like, have I wasted it all? I gotta know. And Jesus' response, this is why I'm crying, it's so beautiful. Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, yeah, bro, don't worry, don't worry about it. I've got this. Like, just, just chill. Don't worry about it. And he doesn't say, yes, I am the one. He doesn't say any of that. He says, John, tell him what you see. And tell him what you hear. The lame walk. The dead arise. The, 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 the blind receive their sight. The deaf hear. The, 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 the poor have good news proclaimed to them. He said, well, here's what he's saying. His response to John is, John, look at me. Get your eyes up and look at me. The one who validates you is right here. It's not in you, John. You don't validate you. The world doesn't validate you. I'm right here. Look at me. Look at me. Everything you need is right here. Our core identity, if it's going to be Christ, must come through Christ alone. And what happens next is even more beautiful. So he sends the disciples away. So he goes, go tell them what you've seen here. And then he turns to the crowd. And Christ, Jesus is a little angry. And I love it when he gets angry. He's a little angry. He's, he's frustrated that, his, that John is in prison. This is not right. It's unjust. It's not okay. And that people don't get it. People don't understand how unbelievably beautiful it is that John has built his entire life on Christ. He's in prison for that. 
So Jesus says this. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? I mean, all these people go out to the wilderness to go see John. He's famous. He's out there. And everybody's like, you got to go see this crazy guy in the wilderness. What did you go out there to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Was it, was it nature? Was it beauty? Was that what's out there? No. What then did you see? What didn't he go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing, right? John's famous for his camel hair, eating locusts, craziness, right? What did you go out to see? A man in soft clothing? Some, some guy in some royal robes? No, 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 no. No, behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? What were you looking for? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one of whom it is written, Behold, my, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare a way before you. Truly I say to you, listen to this, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. You want validation? Jesus says there's no human being who has ever been born that's greater than John the Baptist. He is the goat, the greatest of all time. And I'm not saying that. Jesus is saying that. There's nobody better than John the Baptist. There's nobody better than John the Baptist. There's nobody better. You want validation, that's it. And why? Is it because John was a great winner and achiever and accomplished these great? No. Was he, was he super creative, an artist who could make these beautiful sculptures? and No. Was it because he was a, a helper, a provider, a savior to the world? No. Was it because he was a great leader? And a, and let a, no. It's because he knew who he was. He knew who he was not. He had a God-given role and purpose. And he banked his life on it. And he killed everything that got in the way of that. He killed it. And he put his full faith, every ounce of it, in Christ. He said, this, I'm living now all the days of my life for this. And Jesus says, that guy right there, greatest of all time. Greatest of all time at that. But then Jesus goes on. In the same verse, Matthew eleven eleven. next sentence, same verse, he says this. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Oh. I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus, but for those of you who are, for those of you who have said, man, Jesus is it, Je Je my pursuit, my aim, my king, my glory, it's Christ and Christ alone. For those of you that's true for, the least of you, the least of you, like those of you who are squeaking into the kingdom by like just barely making it in, like just barely making it in, greater than the greatest of all time. That's what Jesus is saying. Those who are in the kingdom, those who are mine, those whom I've called before the beginning and before the foundations of the earth, those whom I've predestined for good works, that they might walk in them and to be the light of the world so that all people might give glory to God in heaven. All of them are greater than him. Greater than the greatest of all time. What more validation do you need? You need your dad to say, oh, good job. Nice work. You need your boss to say, oh, man, can, oh, man, good job on that project. Like, what, what more validation do you need? What light do you need to be seen in? He says you're greater than the greatest of all time. You see, Advent is this season that reminds us that Christ has come for us, not because of us, but in spite of us. 
Not because you got it all together, not because you achieved, not because you did, not because you earned, but because in your brokenness, he says, I love you just the way you are. I'm coming for you. It's this time that we look forward to the second advent. We remind ourselves that one day, one day, after years and years of killing all of the lesser identities in our life, years of struggle and toil to live into the identity of Jesus, he will look at you and he'll see himself in you and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Nice work. I validate you. You're greater than the greatest of all time because it's me and you, not something that you've built, not your kingdom, not your way, me and you. You're greater than the greatest of all time. That's the goal of our life to live into the identity of Jesus, to become just like him, to have him formed in us. And that happens at the deepest part of our being. We must live into our God-given purpose and role. We must kill all of the other things that we crave validation in. We must find it in Christ, in Christ alone. Let me pray for you guys. Jesus, we come before you this morning. And I pray that you would help us in this, that you would help us to be a people who are willing to dig Dig into ourselves, dig into the core of our sinful, broken identities, to the places where it hurts, the places that bring us the greatest anxiety and stress and sorrow and pain and anger, the places where we demand to be validated. That you would help us put our hands around it and squeeze, say, that does not define me. That we be people who deny ourselves and take up our cross and live with you at the center of our lives. Say that all I need in this life is you. The world can have everything else. If I can just have you at the core of who I am. I pray this morning we'd be, we'd be reminded that none of this is easy. It's easy to talk about it. It's very hard to do it. And so by the power of your spirit, would you empower us this morning? Would you help us to identify right now in this place, what are the things that I need validation in? What are the things that I've been told from a young age? What are the things that have been impressed into me by the most influential people in my life? What are the things that Satan has leveraged to get at me? Would you open our eyes? Would you expose those things? Would you empower us to put them to death and replace them with a God-given role and purpose? Would we bank our lives on you and nothing else? Praise things in your name. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, friends. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and stand. Let's, just, let's declare his glory and his greatness and his worth over one another this morning. <laughs>